brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that sends 5% of your monthly plan price to your favorite charity. No contracts, nationwide coverage, risk-free guarantee. Learn more at CharityMobile.com. You know, Vatican II had actually one statement that I did kind of like, and I've heard some traditionalists have a problem with it. I never really have. And that, that statement is this, that the Eucharist is the source and summit of the faith. And, I mean, without the Eucharist, I mean, without the Mass, you have no Eucharist, correct? So, I think a good Lenten reflection is to really understand the fundamentals of the Mass. So, today I want to go over a relatively short piece of writing from Father Michael Mueller, the 19th century Catholic priest who, a month ago, I brought you his um, teaching on why the Mass is in Latin. And today he's going, I'm going to have him tell you why this, or what the sacrifice before the coming of Christ was like. It's an interesting reflection on, for us in Lent, I think, for us to understand the journey and the changes in worship that our Lord brought and how he ended the old sacrifice, which he prophesied that he would do when he said that he will tear this temple, they will tear this temple down. It's good to know where we come from, and it's good to know how this sort of unity in worship and how it transformed ultimately with Christ as the ultimate sacrifice. Let me know what you think of this at the end. God bless. The Sacrifice Before the Coming of Christ by Father Michael Mueller If it is reasonable and natural for a man to make an offering as a token of esteem to those whom he loves and regards in this world, how much more reasonable and natural is it for him to make an offering to his best and dearest friend, to God his Creator? It is therefore no matter for surprise to find that from the very beginning of the world, men were accustomed to make offerings to the being to whom they felt bound to render supreme honor, the honor of adoration. Reason alone convinced man of the necessity and propriety of expressing by some external form his obligation of dependence on God. Especially was this a case after the fall. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, acknowledged their guilt before God with great sorrow and confusion. They knew that they deserved death, even perdition itself. Their grief was so overwhelming that they were ready to sacrifice their lives at once in expiation of their sin and in reparation for the insult they had offered to Almighty God by their disobedience. But God gave them to understand that any multitude of penances and good works, together with the sacrifice of their lives, would not suffice to cancel their deepest debt. So he consoled them by the promise of a Redeemer who would live and die in perfect submission to his holy will in order to blot out their sin, who by his obedience would honor him far more than he had been or could be dishonored by them or by their children. This promise was a great consolation to our first parents. It gave them hope, and with hope the resolve to live up to God's holy will for the remainder of their life, with the idea of by so doing, obtaining forgiveness and life everlasting for the merits of the Redeemer to come. Thus were our first parents disposed towards God. They heartily repented of their sins and earnestly strove for the rest of their lives to render that honor and homage to Almighty God, which were due to Him as the Supreme Lord and Master of the universe. They understood perfectly that they were bound in conscience to spend their life in serving God most faithfully. 
nay, that God was worthy even to be honored by the sacrifice of their life, especially after they had offended him so grievously. But at the same time, they understood that it was not God's will that they should destroy their own life by way of rendering him due honor and homage. They knew that God wished them and their descendants always to bear in mind that he was worthy of all homage and that they were under obligation to render it to him, and that their salvation depended on their firm hope in the merits of the Redeemer to come. Notwithstanding these good dispositions of our first parents, they had become much inclined to evil. Their will was considerably weakened in conscience of their sin. They were very apt to forget themselves, break their holy resolutions, even so far as to neglect their most sacred and essential duties toward their most benevolent and merciful Creator. God knew all this, and it cannot be doubted that in order to strengthen our first parents in the good contentment of their heart, he gave them a positive command to offer him sacrifice. That is to say, such external acts of divine worship, as would appropriately express the sentiments of their heart. He therefore instructed them to substitute for the sacrifice of their life the offering of other sensible objects, to destroy or otherwise change the same, in order to declare and acknowledge by this destruction or change of sensible things that he was the supreme lord of the universe, the sovereign master of life and death that were he to require it, they would be willing to even to sacrifice their, their own existence in order to thus render him an honor and homage of which he alone was worthy and well-deserving. God gave them also to understand that these sacrifices were to remind them of the Redeemer to come and of the sacrifice which he would make in expiation of their sin, that these sacrifices of theirs as figures of the sacrifice of their Redeemer to come would be pleasing to him if made with the proper dispositions of the heart. Besides, it is most probable that it was not natural reason, but rather God himself, who dictated that the particular species of oblation which has been in use amongst nations, animal sacrifice. For although the sense of guilt which has weighed upon all men ever since the fall of Adam would naturally have suggested to them the necessity of some expiatory offering whenever they were about to approach God, yet we cannot see why they should have chosen to sacrifice an animal for that purpose. On the contrary, the offering to God of the life of a harmless creature in expiation of the sins of men, considered apart from divine revelation, would seem to be even absurd. It is therefore most probable that God himself instituted this in the beginning of the world, to foreshadow the meritorious sacrifice of the Redeemer, and to give man a means of acknowledging his guilt and dependence on his divine majesty. Domestic animals have been generally chosen for sacrifice for two reasons chiefly. First, because they stood in the nearest relation to man, and consequently were the most fitting substitutes to bear a penalty which he had incurred. And secondly, because by their gentleness and innocence they served to represent the meek and spotless Lamb of God. It is thus by the teaching of God Almighty himself in the first instance, or by an impression made by him on the hearts of men from the beginning, that we can adequately explain and easily account for the fact that all nations have agreed not only upon the propriety of making oblations to the being to whom they give supreme honor, but also even in the end for which and in the manner in which those oblations should be made. In all the sacrifices, sacred as well as profane, the sensible and visible thing offered was invariably destroyed or changed. Animals were slain, other sensible objects were burned or poured out, such as wine, oil, and the like. It never happened that the simple oblation of a thing went by the name of sacrifice in the strict theological sense. 
The character or essence of sacrifice was always held to consist in the destruction or change of the thing offered. As without this destruction or change, it seemed that man did not fittingly express his interior acknowledgement that God was supreme lord of the universe, the sovereign master of life and death, and as such, worthy even of being honored by the sacrifice of man's life, were he to require it. Such acknowledgement alone could adequately express the principal object and meaning of sacrifice. It is easy to understand, then, how it never came to pass that sacrifices were offered to anyone except God. They have always been considered the highest act of worship, an act which could not be rendered to any creature. If history informs us that in some instances sacrifices were offered in cre to creatures, it informs us also that those very creatures were worshipped as gods or deities, never as human beings. To this prime intention which men had in offering sacrifice were added others. Sacrifices were also intended to obtain favors from God, to thank him for particular graces received, or as propitiatory after having offended him. Even from the beginning of the world, sacrifices were offered to Almighty God for such intentions. Holy Scripture, the most ancient of all histories, tells us that Cain and Abel offered sacrifice to God soon after the fall of our first parents. Cain, the fruits of the earth, and Abel, the firstlings of his flock. As soon as Noah had quitted the ark after the deluge, he built an altar and offered whole burnt offerings to God. The great patriarch Job offered up a burnt offering every day to his children. Abraham sacrificed a ram in place of his son. Melchizedek, king of Salem and prince priest of the Most High, offered up a sacrifice of bread and wine. Again, Holy Scripture tells us that Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, was priest in Madian, and that Pupitfare, the Egyptian father-in-law of Joseph, was priest of Heliopolis, and that Potiphare offered burnt offerings and sacrifices to God. We find also in the book of Numbers that Balaam, a priest of Mesopotamia, offered up sacrifice to God. In fact, all the ancient Egyptians, the Greeks and Romans, even the American Indians had their sacrifices. Travel where we will over the wide world. Open the pages of history and look into the past, and we shall find that never yet was there a nation having a form of religion that did not at the same time offer some kind of sacrifice. Sacrifice, religion, and divine worship have ever been regarded as one and the same. In fact, sacrifice is so essential that there can be no religion without it. To imagine a religion without sacrifice is simply impossible. Sacrifice, therefore, was even under the law of nature, and among the patriarchs from the beginning of the world, the essential form of religion. Such sacrifices, if offered with the proper dispositions of the heart, were agreeable to the Almighty, as we may gather from Holy Scripture telling us that, quote, the Lord had respect to the offerings of Abel. See Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. The precise manner in which God manifested his pleasure in offerings of Abel is not known. It is believed by many grave authors that he sent fire from heaven to consume them, as he did on other occasions in after ages. From the very fact that God showed his pleasure in such sacrifices, we are naturally led to believe that he himself taught men, even from the beginning, to worship him in this manner. However, this original revelation concerning sacrifices, traces of which are found among all nations, became, like many other revelations, very much corrupted in the course of time. Supposing that that which they loved and prized the most would be the most acceptable offering to God, at last men came to sacrifice their fellow men, nay, even their own children. Of course, such sacrifices were in the highest degree hateful in the sight of God. In order, therefore, to teach men how to worship him properly, the Lord chose a particular people to whom he gave express and minute directions under the, about the sacrifices that they were to offer. This particular people was the Jewish nation. Out of this nation, God chose a particular family, that of Aaron, 
who were to offer him sacrifices. These sacrifices ordained by God were of various kinds. They were offerings of adoration, offerings of impetration, sin offerings, and thanksgiving offerings. In some, the victim was only partially, in others, entirely consumed by fire. These later were burnt offerings, whole burnt offerings. It was God himself who prescribed most minutely all the rites and ceremonies to be observed in that most solemn act of public worship. God himself commanded that a lamb should be sacrificed every morning and every evening. On Saturday, the Sabbath, as also in all great festivals, more abundant sacrifices were offered. Sacrifice was not only the essential worship of the entire nation, of God's chosen people, it was also the essential worship of each individual. Whenever an Israelite committed a sin, he was bound by the law of God to confess that sin and to offer sacrifice. The sinner led to the priest the animal destined for sacrifice. He then laid his hand upon the head of the victim in order to acknowledge before God that this innocent animal was intended to bear his sins and to die in his place. The animal was then slain by the priest and his blood was poured around the altar. This kind of sacrifice was thus offered up not only to atone for sin, but also to, to obtain favors from God or to thank him for favors received. As sacrifice was instituted by God himself in the very beginning of the world for the most sacred ends, it was never to cease so long as human beings remained on earth. This continual daily sacrifice, ordained by God himself, was kept until the coming of the Redeemer. As long as the temple remained, the fire on the altar was never suffered to go out. The blood of victims never to cease to flow. The smoke of sacrifices went up continually to God. And that was Father Michael Mueller telling us of the evolution or natural development, the organic development of the sacrifice through time to the coming of our Lord. And there's an essential nature there, and that is the continued sacrifice, the never-ending nature of the sacrifice. How those fires were never suffered to go out. How at all times there was something being offered to God, morning and night. Something of real value to the people. I wonder if we can take a lesson from that for the rest of our Lent, to continuously offer something up ourselves in our own lives, morning and night. A sort of sin offering in our own lives, and a sort of personal sacrifice, at least for the remainder of these 40 days. Curious what you thought of this, so let me know in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help, as does sharing this on social media. That helps a lot, too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.